about three or four years ago, uh, a really good friends came to our home. Uh, and they're great friends, they're mentors, they still are good friends and mentors, they're incredible people. And uh, they said to us, they sat down, they said, you know, Jonathan, we love Forefront. And they said, uh, they said, but we have an issue. And the issue is this, you, the way you preach is out of balance. You don't preach on sin. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And they said, they said well, you know, you preach a lot about the grace of Jesus Christ, but, but you don't preach about how our sin separates us from God. And you don't preach about how we need a Savior in order to, you know, stop that separation from happening, being connected once again. And I sat there and I was like, huh. I was thinking about it a little bit. And... Uh, and I didn't really know what to say. I didn't know what to say. And, and I think the reason I didn't know what to say was because they were right, I think. At that point, I don't think I was preaching on sin. I don't think I was preaching on sin and separation. And, and it sort of started me on a bit of a journey. I was like, you know, uh, I think I don't preach on sin and separation because I don't think I believe in sin and separation. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is this. I don't, I don't know if I believe that there is a God who sees me and sees my brokenness and sees my sin and sees my pain, which I have, and I have a lot of it. And I don't think that God looks at me and goes, I'm separate from you now. I don't want to be around you any longer. You cannot get close to me now. I don't believe that. And I don't believe that there is a God who had a wrath that needed to be satisfied. I don't believe that. I don't believe there was a God who was like, you know what, I'm pretty angry with you. I need to kill my son in order for you to be seen now as good, in order for us to be reconnected or reunited. I don't think I believe that any longer. And so I didn't preach on sin. And so in the next couple of years, you're going to get a bit of my story, a bit of my process. In the next couple of years, I said, well, what is sin? Because sin still is real, and it still matters, and I still have it in my life, right? And I always make that joke. If you say you don't have it in your life, you're lying, which means you're a sinner, right? Um, uh, you, you know, I, it's still there. How do, we, how do we do this, or how do we tackle sin or think about sin? And, and in our Be the Light series, what I want to tell us and what I've come to is this idea that if we're really to be the light of Christ, then I believe that our sin and the way we handle our sin and move through our sin can actually be really good news. Our sin can actually be really good news. That sounds weird, I know. Uh, and so I'll just say a couple of quick caveats, a couple of quick things. Uh, you're getting a lot of my journey here. And my journey is not set in stone, which means you're sort of on this process with me as I think through sin. Remember that? If you have questions, great. I have questions too. Let's work them out together. Let's continue to do that. Also, if you've been around this church for a couple of years, I've said some of this stuff to you before in messages. If it sounds familiar, it's because I've said it, okay? Uh, just so know that, that that's the case as well. And so in this Be the Light series, we talked about how prayer makes us the light, right? A good prayer life, a life where, and I hope that we're praying through the Lord's Prayer. How many people have been able to pray through the Lord's Prayer a little bit? Okay, I'm glad that just a couple of you have. That's good news. Um, good job. Uh, Lenicia Ross Tinsley, she talked about how if we're to be the light, then we don't hide grief, right? We don't hide our mourning. They matter in the way that we follow Christ. Like, we want to pay attention to our mourning. We want to pay attention to our grief. And I'm going to talk about why sin is good news. But first, before I talk about why sin is good news, I need to ask you this. How many people uh, in the last little while of your lives, have done something, maybe mischievous, maybe not, where you have said uh, to somebody or to yourself, oh, I'm going to hell for this. <laughs> Be honest. How many people have said it? Yeah. Yeah. You know why we said that? Uh, and it's a joke, right? We've joked around, oh, I'm definitely going to hell. But the reason we say it is because the idea of sin and separation is pretty pervasive in culture. We don't even need to be a part of a church or have grown up in church to say something like, oh, I'm going to hell for this. Because we believe that when we do something wrong, ultimately, that thing that we do wrong puts us in a place where we're going to be eternally tormented. That's what we believe. And so for me, when I grew up in a church, 
I grew up in a church where that was absolutely true. And so uh, 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 my sin or, or the way to be right or the way not to go to hell was to make sure that I had this list of don'ts, don't do these things, right? And so I made that list and I made sure that I didn't do those things. Did you have a similar list in your head? Maybe it's a little bit of a, a subjective list, right? Um, I had that list. My list came from Romans 13, 13. I'll read it for you real quick. Let us behave decent, decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. That was the big thing for me. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to carouse whatever that meant for an eight-year-old. Um, I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to make sure that I stay you know, sexually pure, that I don't drink, that I do these things. And if I check all those things off on my list, then I'm not going to go to hell. It will all be okay. Um, you know, that, will, that will make sense for me. Now, uh, that, was, that was definitely uh, one thing. And, and then um, the second thing was that uh, what it did is uh, it made me look at my Bible differently. I looked at my Bible differently. Now, how did I look at my Bible? Well, I looked at my Bible as, uh, and maybe you've heard this before, um, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, right? And that's just it. That's it, the Bible says that. And, and, and so I would look at my Bible, and it didn't matter that there might be a woman right in front of me who had the godly gift of preaching. I would look at my Bible, and the Bible said, um, the Bible said women shouldn't speak in church, and I'd say the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And so even though that woman was right in front of me, um, with all the gifts and the God-given abilities, uh, I was afraid that I might go to hell, right? If I, I, because I don't believe what's, what's, you know, so if I'm not believing what it says in the Bible, then maybe I'm going to go to hell if I actually affirm this person, right? And we can go any number of directions with that. Sexual orientation, gender identity. I see you right in front of me, and I see your truth, but the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, so I can't mess with that, because otherwise if I mess with it, I'm going to go to hell. That's sort of the, the approach that I took in my life, okay? Now what does that do? That sets up a sin that looks like this for me. It sets up my definition of sin, something that I came to, and this is what it says. Sin uh, is that which qualifies a person for God's separation and judgment, and God's judgment was God's punitive action whereby sinners are sent to hell. All right? That's the way I, I came to that, and I came to that through my church and my upbringing. All right? Now, why? Why did we have this kind of theology? Where did this theology come from? I think it comes from Genesis. Anybody ever read the book of Genesis? Some of y'all? All right, very good. Uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, what we have are we have Israelites. They are being held captive by the Babylonians, and they're saying to themselves, how do we get to this place? How do we get to a place where, um, how do we get to a place where we're captive and we're enslaved, and how have we gotten to this place where we're miserable? And so they start telling each other stories. This is how we got to that place. And the stories end up being the book of Genesis, and they start talking about Adam and Eve, okay? And so in that... This is what Genesis 2 says. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, take care of it. The Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Okay? Certainly die, right? There's death there. That, that sort of gets us in the connotation of hell. And then it says this right after it. It says, uh, The woman said to the serpent, uh, and so now the serpent's got in there, Right? Uh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows what, uh, when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, when woman saw the fruit of the tree was good and good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. 
This is where we get this from, okay? The idea of death. Now, did they die? No. But sin feels like death sometimes. When we've hurt someone close to us or near to us or dear to us, that feels like death. When we're ravaged um, by a bad decision, by pain that comes with it, it feels a little bit like death. There's a little death with every loss of relationship. There's a little death with every time um, we've intentionally or unintentionally hurt. There's a little death that go with it. So I get it, but it doesn't mean that we are going to hell. And yet we've adopted this theology that says as much. Okay? What does that do? Two things I think it does. Number one, number one, it makes it all about us. What does my relationship look like with Jesus? What does my relationship feel like? And so, you know what? I don't need to worry about other people. What I need to worry about is me. And so when we see social issues or systemic issues, we say things like this. What we don't have here is a social problem. What we have here is a sin problem, right? And what does that do? It absolves us from any responsibility to actually take care of the social stuff. Oh, it's a sin issue. I fixed my sin issue. Did you? Right? We don't have to worry about that at all. It makes it all about us. The second thing that it does is it makes our sin a transaction, or make, I'm sorry, it makes Jesus a transaction. So now we don't follow the life of Jesus at all, right? We don't worry about what Jesus did, how controversial Jesus was, how socially radical Jesus was. We don't worry about any of that. All we worry about is the transaction. God was mad. God's wrath was satisfied through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. The end. Right? That's all it becomes. It's this really transactional, simple thing. And so, and so, sin is this thing that brings about God's judgment. And God's judgment is us being sent to hell. And thank God for Jesus, who's this transaction. That's where we go. That didn't work for me. It didn't work for me, and, and, and I struggled with it. And so what have I tried to come to? Or what journey am I on? Or what's happening now? Well, I want to go back to Genesis, and this is 3, 8 through 11. And this is what it says. It says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Uh, I was hanging out this, a few months ago, hanging out with this whole group of friends. And, uh, and, you know, we're all having fun. It's late. And, and one of the people I'm hanging out with, this woman, she starts singing. And it is beautiful. Like, really nice. I was like, you have a wonderful voice. And she said to me, she goes, no, I don't. And she didn't say it I'm like, ah, oh, no, I don't, even though she knew she did. No, she said it like, I really believe that I don't. I don't. And I was like, whoa. And I think all of us were like, whoa. And, um, and we said, well, why, why do you think that? You know? And she goes, well, when I was growing up, my, my mom, every time I would open my mouth to sing, my mom would say something like, stop that screeching or stop your racket. And so I just always believed that this wasn't, not, this wasn't a good thing. I always believed that this was a bad thing. And when I thought that, I thought about this passage, right? Who, who told you that? Who told you you were naked? It's this sense in which it's a loss of innocence. It's a loss of something that was once beautiful. It was now broken. Who, and I hear God going, well, who told you that? And God's not saying it like, who told you that? You did this? I'm out of here. I think God's saying it with sorrow. I think God's saying it the same way that we said it to this woman. Who, who told you that that was the case? Who told you that you were no longer good? Who told you that you had to hide? Who told you that you were broken? Who told you that? And what I hear God doing here is not going, I'm out of here. 
I hear God saying, I've always been with you, but now you're running from me. Who told you that you needed to run from me? Who told you? And it changes the way I look at sin. Because I don't think sin is us in a place where God says, you know what? I'm gone. I'm out of here. Good luck. You need Jesus to satisfy my wrath. I think God's going, I'm always with you. Who told you I wasn't with you? I'm always around, even when you're broken, even when there are consequences, which there are. I'm still here with you. Even when, even when you have hurt other people, I'm still here with you. Even when you hurt yourself, I'm still here with you. How can I show you that I'm still here with you? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is going to walk with you. And he's going to suffer the same way you suffer. And he's going to feel broken the same way you feel broken. And he's going to feel pain the same way you feel pain. And he's going to die the same way that we're all going to die. To show you that I've never, ever left. I've been walking with you the entire time. There's no need to hide. Can you open your eyes to see it? And that's good news. It's good news that in my brokenness, that in good news in my sin, good news every single time I get it wrong, there's not a need to be worried. There's not a need to fear. There's not a need to be afraid. There is a God who walks with me through that in the process. God is not separate from me. God walks with me and sends Jesus to show me that. And I've said this a million and a half times, and I'll continue to say it a million and a half times. Jesus is not God changing God's mind about us. Jesus is here so that we change our minds about the goodness of God. That's why Jesus is here. So where does that leave us? What does that mean for us in terms of us being sinners? Well, I would say we have to look at sin differently, and this is what sin looks like now. Sin is that which opposes God's loving desire for all creation, and God's judgment is God's restorative justice in action, which includes exposing and naming sin as sin, calling people to repentance and transformation, and setting things right. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're still hurting others. At the end of the day, we're still getting in the way of what God intended. At the end of the day, there's still consequence and pain that comes from it. Okay, so what God is, isn't saying is, I'm out of here, I'm gone. God is saying, okay, I work with you to restore this. I walk with you as we restore, as we make this new. I walk with you as you contribute to bringing my kingdom to this place, even in the midst of your sin. I walk with you in it. So now, instead of creating a list of do's and don'ts, right, now we look at every single one of our actions. So for me, I look at alcohol, right? Don't drink. That's what it said in Romans 13, 13. And I look, well, have there been times when I've been around a table drinking alcohol and, and, and it brings the joy and the, the celebration that God intended? Absolutely. Have there been times I've been drinking alcohol where it has not brought that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> right? So we're not just making these blanket statements. What we're doing is we're looking at every single one of our actions and saying, does this action bring the peace that God intends to the world? Or doesn't it? And so I look at a woman who says, I'm ready to preach. A woman who has the godly gifts of preaching, is, 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 do I say, well, the Bible says this? No. I say, is, does she bring the peace that God intends for this kingdom? Absolutely. Right? We change the way we look at it. Someone who identifies uh, as, as queer or someone with a different gender identity, does their gender identity or identifying as queer bring peace that God intends? Absolutely. Right? We change the way we look at it. We're changing that. What else does it do? Well, I mean, we need to look at us. We need to focus in on our sin, and we need to ask ourselves that question. Are we bringing the peace that God intends with our actions? Are we? You know, it's way, way easier to have the list of, of don'ts. I would much rather have that than have to look at every one of my interactions and say, did I do that all right? But there's peace that comes with that. 
The second thing is that we no longer make this about a transaction with Jesus. It means we look at the life of Jesus Christ, and then when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we go, oh my gosh, there's not just personal sin, but there's social and systemic sin. And I can't say, oh, that's a, it's a, not a social issue, it's a sin issue. I have to see how my life contributes or doesn't contribute to fixing this or making this part of God's creation. That's what I have to do now. And so when somebody says that Black Lives Matter and me as a white privileged man go, oh, I, don't, you know, I don't know, I mean, is that true? Like, that hurts what God intends for the world, right? Instead, I go, oh, wow. I believe this because you're, you're part of God's creation. Now I need, I'm going to help with this, right? When a woman says she's sexually assaulted, I don't go, well, you know, how come it took you 30 years? No, I go, oh my gosh, I'm sorry this happened. My male privilege has gotten in the way. How can I help fix this? How can I change this system with you, right? We start to look at some of these social things and we start to go, we start to go this is also bringing the peace that God intended, Okay, it also brings peace for me to fix these things that are socially unacceptable. So there's two parts. There's this personal part, and there's the communal part. The communal part is just as big, just as important. We communally bring the peace that God intends. We repent of that sin as well. And in the communal part, every single time I've gotten it wrong, every single time we've gotten it wrong, there's a God who's sitting there going, yeah, you got it wrong. I'm still with you. And I still believe in you enough, and I still love you enough, and you're still my creation enough that I still want you to partner with bringing peace to this kingdom. Can you do it? Two things I think we need to do from here out in order to be the light. Number one, let's just rest for a minute and celebrate the fact that we are not separate from God. Can we do that? Can we take rest in the fact that, that when we mess up, which we will, you will mess up when you walk out these doors. You're probably messing up right now. I am. Can we take heart in the fact that we are still loved, that we're not separate from God? And then secondly, I think we are the light when we confess. I think we still have to confess. I think confession is so important. I think confession is courageous. That's what I think. Um, in the book of John, Jesus dies, and then he's resurrected. It's really amazing. And he's resurrected, and the, one of the first things he does, the book of John tells us, is he goes to this upper room where all the disciples are, and Scripture is very clear to tell us that he doesn't open the door, he walks through the door. I love that little point of Scripture. Uh, and what Jesus does is Jesus shows them his wounds. He says, check out my wounds, and then he says this to them. He goes, hey, listen, confess to one another that you've messed it up. Confess to, confess to one another that you've got this wrong, and then forgive one another for it. Do that. That is, it's so important that Jesus, after he comes back from the dead, makes that one of the first things he says. Is it true for us too? You know what confession does for us? Confession brings us to a place where we are restoring the peace that God intends. If we look at, um, you know, there's a pastor, Tim Keller, who says he looks at peace as like these frayed and torn edges. Uh, and he says every time that we confess, we're like mending those frayed and torn pieces. That's what we're doing. We're bringing this like tapestry back to life. And I believe that. Confession is the practice that brings light. Do you have the courage to say I got it wrong? Do you have the courage to say I messed it up? Do we have the courage to say I've hurt you? Do we have the courage to say I've participated in a system that has hurt millions? Do we have the courage to say I have blind spots that have gotten in the way? Because if we do, if we have that courage, we're going to be the light all day long. So let me read this last part to you because I think it's so important. We're shifting a paradigm. 
It's a paradigm that says, yes, you're a sinner. Yes, you fall short. Yes, you will hurt others. But God is not separate. God is right there with you saying, you are my creation. You are loved. I still want to partner with you in bringing my kingdom to this place. And not only that, but I want you to pay attention to more than just you and to your actions. I believe in you so much. I'm charging you, me, us with bringing healing to our community and the systemic sins that have affected so many. That is how we are the light. And so I challenge us to be that light today. challenge us to walk out and in our sin... Let's practice the radical, radical confession and the grace that comes from never being separated from God through Jesus Christ. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, help us to ask, how are we partnering with you to bring peace to this community? God, help us to bring peace to others. God, help us to bring peace to our enemies. God, help me to communally respond to bring peace. God, help me to be aware of how my actions are affecting others around me. God, thank you for not being separate from me. Thank you that Jesus isn't a part of your violent wrath. And help me in the light of that good news to bring that good news to others. Amen.